School districts are getting really creative to attract teachers. I know that there are other districts that are offering, for example, affordable housing to teachers because they get paid so poorly for the work, the important work they do as a way to attract them. Very, very creative. Very interesting. Elizabeth Pran, thank you so much. And thank you for trusting us tonight. On Balance with Leland Bittert is coming up next. I'm Elizabeth Vargas. We'll see you again right here again tomorrow night. Have a good night. the program tonight, Rampant Robberies. Thieves taking off with $100,000 in merchandise from a California Nordstrom. But will promises of justice come up empty-handed? Is Donald Trump untouchable? The former president making a spectacle in Iowa and remains the GOP frontrunner despite a string of indictments. How his presence or absence at next week's debate will affect everyone else. Look at this crowd. I mean, it's a record crowd. It's a great honor. Still a free man. One deserter had a huge uh, negative impact uh, on the war. Congressmen say a soldier who deserted in Afghanistan has blood on his hands. Their plan to put him back in court. We're not going to let this go. We're never going to forget. And from the court to Congress, why Dwayne Wade is not shying away from chatter involving the political arena. And hello there. Good evening. I'm Blake Berman in for Leland tonight. Leland, of course, is preparing for our town hall with the presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy. That town hall just two hours from now. We begin tonight in Maui, where there are serious questions tonight about the preparedness and response to catastrophic wildfires on the island of Lahaina. Here's what we know at this hour. Officials say at least 96 people are dead making it the deadliest U.S. wildfire in at least 100 years. Search teams expect that number to rise, though, as they sift through the ash. They've only made it through 3% of the disaster area. More than 2,000 homes and buildings are destroyed. That's about 80% of the island. The expected price tag here to rebuild could exceed $6 billion. The governor says the flames ripped through the city at remarkable speed, partly because of strong winds across the islands across Maui. One fire was deemed to be out. It must not have been completely extinguished because when the winds rose up, winds gusting as high as 81 miles per hour, fire spread spread rapidly. We believe between 60 miles per hour and 81 miles per hour across that part of the island. And that meant that fire traveled one mile every minute. Governor Green has already ordered a comprehensive review of what happened before, during, and after the wildfires. We know the emergency siren system, the largest in the world, was silent when the fires approached neighborhoods on, La- on Lahaina. Now families are demanding answers as they work to rebuild what's left. All I want to do is help people. I'm just so grateful to be alive. People are found in houses in a huddle holding each other because the fires surrounded their homes before they could even get out. There was nowhere to go. FEMA is already on the island helping with the disaster effort. Among the many questions, will the president make a visit to the island and get a firsthand look? Here's what we heard at today's White House press briefing. We just want to make sure that we are working 
to help this community identify everybody that's missing, and we need to stay focused on that right now. Tonight, we are learning the Hawaii Wildfire Management Organization warned about the dangers of wildfires a decade ago, particularly with the lack of deforestation on the islands. The group's co-executive director spoke to The Guardian, saying in part, quote, that is one of the devastating parts here. We knew this could happen. You can have a plan on paper, but it doesn't mean it's going to turn into effective implementation unless you have practiced it. Joining us now is Jeffrey Melikar. He lives on Lahaina, lost two properties in the fires. Jeffrey, thank you for being here with us on Balance tonight. I said it was 80% of the island, 80% of the homes. You lost two of those homes. Uh, I'm wondering how you're doing, how your family is doing as you try to rebuild. Well, it's just me on the island right now. Um, I'm, it's been a tough few days. Uh, I consider myself one of the lucky ones. I did lose a couple of homes, but uh, I'm obviously alive, and I didn't lose a loved one. But uh, so many people here have lost everything, including loved ones or their lives. So uh, it's uh, horrific. It's just horrific. What kind of help do you need right now, Jeffrey, either yourself, your friends, um, others on the island that, that you see? What, what's the help that's needed? I am fine. Um, the population of Lahaina uh, need a lot. They need everything. Um, they were completely wiped out. Um, they've lost their homes, their jobs, uh, their possessions. So, um, yeah, they're completely wiped out, and they need everything. I will be okay. What do you want from the? What, what do you need from the federal government? Because there is a massive response effort right now underway. And when you look at these images, Jeffrey, and and, and you've obviously seen them firsthand, um, I, I wonder sort of what comes from here? Very good question. I'm um, still in shock. Uh, there's a huge response already on the island. Uh, people where hotels are opening up their rooms to displaced residents. Uh, there are food banks, water, necessities, clothing. So the, the aid is here as to what is going to happen in the future. It's just too soon to tell. It's just horrific. And uh, everybody's just trying to get their hands around the enormity of this issue and, um, looking for the death deaths and i'm sure that toll is going to rise dramatically so uh yeah it's awful you know i was talking to a colleague of mine uh who's from lahaina uh jeffrey and and she said the house she grew up in gone uh family's house the uncle's house gone basically everyone that she knows their house gone is is that sort of basically everywhere you look right now is that the story in Lahaina, absolutely part of it. I would say at least eighty percent of the town of Lahaina is gone. It's just a blanket of gray ash. Um, every street, every house in my neighborhood is gone. Uh, there's one house that was standing in my entire neighborhood, and it's amazing that, that that's even the case. So it's it's total and complete devastation. It's you know, we talk about up. the house. Yeah, we talk about the houses, and, and you say you're doing fine. I'm guessing you're at a at a friend's house. Um, you know, somewhere down the road. Um, But we talk about 96 people dead and that number expected to rise significantly. What is, what is, how is the community rallying around each other? I mean, there's often stories of, of neighbors helping neighbors, friends helping friends, family helping family, but it just seems like the the devastation here is widespread. It really is. I mean, Hawaii is a close-knit community. This island's a uh, close-knit community and especially Lahaina. So everybody is rallying around each other, but there are still, uh, I don't know, a thousand people missing and unaccounted for. Uh, they're finding more uh, deaths by the hour. 
And from what I saw when I was evacuating, uh, there's going to be a lot more. There were people there that could not evacuate. Um, there was a significant homeless population that I know didn't get out. So uh, the numbers are going to go up dramatically. Uh, and um, so I, I don't know where to go forward from here, but uh, it is really true devastation. Will you stay there, Jeffrey? Will you rebuild? I, I don't know. I mean, my neighborhood that I've had for 30 years, Lahaina, the old commercial district, it's all gone. So, uh, yeah, they'll rebuild it eventually, but it, it'll never be the same. Um, so I, I just don't know yet. It's too early. You know, um, I wonder, we, we often talk about the politics here in Washington, and this, this obviously goes beyond that. But there were questions about comments that President Biden made over the weekend. He was asked about it. He said, uh, quote, unquote, no comment. Uh, I asked the deputy spokesperson, Sabrina Singh, uh, from the Pentagon about that. And, and this was part of her response. And I'll get your reaction on the on the other side of it. Watch. Joe Biden cares deeply about uh, communities that are impacted by fires, by whatever natural disaster might might uh, happen. Um, I think he certainly cares deeply about Hawaii, and that's why he is given his support to the community and certainly allowing the department to do its job to make sure that we're reaching residents and reaching the community where they are. Is there anything the president of the United States can do for you and for your community? Does it matter to you if he flies out there and and visits and sees it firsthand? I certainly think it would be helpful. Uh, He needs to throw the full support of the federal government towards the aid here and, and getting things here as quickly as possible. People are hurting. Um, and, um, so yeah, anything you could do would be helpful, of course. Should mention newsnationnow.com backslash help. If you would like to, to chip into the relief efforts, of course, the American Red Cross hotline, 1-800-733-2767. If you would like to help the folks out in Lahaina, like Jeffrey, Jeffrey Malakar, uh, best to you, sir. And best to your community. Of course, we will continue to stay on top of it, uh, there in Lahaina. Thank you, sir. You got it. Well, from Hawaii to Iowa now, after his quick stop in Iowa over the weekend, the former president, Donald Trump, might be thinking the race for the GOP nomination is signed, sealed, and delivered. The former president was the center of attention at the famed Iowa State Fair. Not ideal for his main challenger, the Florida governor, Ron DeSantis, who found out the hard way at the fair over the weekend. You heard the chance there. We want Trump. The Real Clear Politics average of polls shows that Donald Trump still holds a dominant lead. 54% in the polling averages to DeSantis, who's nearly 40 points behind. Everyone else polling in the single digits there, as you can see. This, even as the former president faces the very real possibility of a fourth indictment potentially here in the upcoming days in the state of Georgia. Here to talk about the full state of play in the Republican Party, Senator Ron Johnson, Republican from Wisconsin. Senator, thank you for being here uh, on on balance with us tonight. Obviously, you know, the implications of Iowa, the, the big state fair and, and all the candidates going down there. Uh, I wonder what you make of what happened there this weekend and whether or not it's signed, sealed and delivered for Donald Trump when you when you see that video and hear those poll numbers. Oh, Blake, well, first of all, I listened to the report on Hawaii. I mean, it's just heartbreaking. Yeah. Uh, you know, we will, as a nation, will, as we always have, we come together and we do everything we can to help uh, people struck by those types of tragedies. So you know, our thoughts and prayers are with folks from Hawaii and Lahaina. Um, in terms of re- Republican politics, I, I think uh, so much of the Republican base, conservatives uh, understood how grossly unfair President Trump was 
treated uh, right after he won the presidency and uh, all the way through his presidency up to this moment. And so there's a great deal of sympathy for what he has had to endure, uh, the torment he has had to withstand. And uh, there's an awful lot of, uh, you know, that's one of the reasons he garners such such a large percentage of support. And then, of course, there are a lot of other candidates that are splitting up the rest of the, the ticket. Do you support him? You going to endorse him? I don't believe you have so far. I, I just don't endorse candidates. I, I let the Republican voters in, in primaries select their candidate, and then I'll get behind the candidate selected. All right. Uh, there's there's going to be a pretty big debate uh, in your home state of Wisconsin, Senator. Uh, next week, the first Republican primary debate. And there's a there's a question about Donald Trump. You, you see the numbers up 40. Should he debate? He hasn't committed one way or another. Do you think he do you think he owes it to the Republican Party to to get on stage along with the other contenders and debate them? Or do you understand when you're up 40, you might say this is mine and and, I, and I'm not playing. But in the end, it's a decision he'll make. Uh, you can see by his reception in Iowa, he would certainly be welcomed here by Republicans here in Wisconsin. We would certainly like to hear from him. Uh, we'd like to hear from all the candidates. You know, we, we want to hear from candidates for the president of the United States. Uh, how are you going to deal with the problems facing this nation? I would put at the top of the list the division that has been sown by liberals. Uh, you know, we are a highly divided nation, but we're, we're not naturally divided. Uh, the vast majority of Americans, we share the same goals. We want a safe, prosperous, secure America. We're concerned about each other. It is identity politics pushed by the left that is dividing this nation. So the first thing I'd like to hear out of Republican candidates is, how dedicated are you to healing this nation? What are you going to do to heal this nation? And then what are you going to do to address all the problems caused by big government and by Democrat governance? You know, Senator, during the last uh, presidential debate between Donald Trump and, and President Biden, of course, the issue or one of the biggest issues was COVID. And you made some comments uh, over the weekend or on, on Friday, and I want to want to ask you about it on the other side. Here's what you said uh, when you were on Fox just a few days ago. Why can't the American people know that there were side effects with the vaccine? This is all pre-planned by an elite group of people. That's what I'm talking about. Event 201 that occurred in late 2019 prior to the rest of us knowing about this pandemic. Again, yeah. Yeah, th- this is very concerning in terms of what has happened, what is happening, uh, what continues to be planned for our loss of freedom. Senator, what do you mean when you say that the uh, pandemic response was pre-planned? Well, if you go back and you look at some of these simulations, by the way, in the age of CRISPR technology, gene splicing, gene editing, it makes sense to hold tabletop, uh, tabletop simulations sure. to, to plan in the case of, an, of a pandemic. But it also makes an awful, awful lot of sense that if you get something like a chimeric uh, coronavirus, that you at least consider the possibility that it might have been man-made as opposed to covering up your own uh, complicity in funding that very dangerous research. So what I was talking about is what was pre-planned was our response, the censoring of information, uh, the dedication to rolling out an mRNA vaccine that Anthony Fauci just a few months before that said it would take 10 years to fully test, and then sabotaging early treatments so that there wouldn't be a treatment, paving the way for an emergency use authorization for the vaccine. There are so many things that occurred, particularly in the first year of the pandemic, that made no sense. And at the top of that list would be the sabotage, 
of early treatment using widely available, safe, effective drugs like hydroxychloroquine, like ivermectin, like budesonide. It was literally a host of those drugs that doctors were not allowed to use. Their licenses were threatened. Their careers destroyed because they had the courage and compassion to treat COVID patients. And the doctors I've been dealing with for the last three years. But some of those really are still obviously very. Some, some of those are lost their lives because they were not uh, did not have access to early treatment, which was sabotaged by our federal health officials. But but some of those you would acknowledge are, are still still controversial to this to this day. Because the FDA and health officials have made them controversial. These are FDA approved drugs. They are far safer than certainly what the COVID vaccine appears to be. Uh, ivermectin is a a Nobel Prize winning drug, and I have enough anecdotal evidence. Plus, there's there is plenty of plenty of studies that prove its effectiveness in this battle. And doctors guess- have full off label prescription rights, which were denied them because of the efforts of the the FDA, the NIH, and the CDC. Just one last question on this: If if, if you say some of this was the response, some of it was was pre planned, and you talk about the tabletop exercises. And et cetera, and, and the response afterwards. I mean, at that point in time, Donald Trump was the president of the United States. Did, did, did he? I mean, at the end of the day, right, the president is responsible for the response. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he should not have kept uh, Anthony Fauci in that position. There's no doubt about it. Uh, he, he should have done everything in his power to make sure that early treatment was made available and that we didn't totally rely on that vaccine. And then once the vaccine, of course, he was gone once the vaccine really started rolling out. And then we started, should have been looking at the safety surveillance system, the VAERS, and started you know, watching the mounting deaths, 25, so 25% of those deaths occurring on day zero, one, or two uh, following vaccination. But again, m- most of our failed response in COVID occurred during the Biden administration as they mandated the vaccines, ignored their own safety warning systems, and continued to sabotage early treatment. All right, Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, uh, got to leave it there. Big week for you next week uh, in the Badger State with the with the first debate. Uh, we appreciate the time. Thank you, sir. Have a good evening. Yes, you too. All right, well, News Nation, as you know, is set to host the first presidential town hall with the Republican candidate Vivek Ramaswamy. Leland Vittert hosts live from Chicago tonight with live audiences in Chicago, Iowa, and New Hampshire. That is just one hour and 43 minutes away. Well, the NBA star Dwayne Wade was inducted into the NBA Hall of Fame this past weekend, wrapping up his incredible basketball career just in time for what could be a new career, maybe, as a politician. The New York Times sat down with Wade and asked uh, about entering the political arena. He said, in part, that he will speak upon things that he's passionate about and that he has, quote, a role as an American citizen and as a known person to be able to highlight and speak on things that other people may not be able to because they don't have the opportunity, end quote. Now, Wade did not confirm or deny if there's any truth to him potentially running, but he did share that he's been approached by Democrats. Dan Cannonan joins us now, partner and CEO at the Democratic firm ARC Initiatives. Dan? Hey, Blake. Hey, hey. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. Uh, so I, I saw this story, I don't know, earlier this summer of Democrats trying to recruit Dwayne Wade, legendary Heat basketball player, legend in the state of Florida. Yeah. Um, and he was asked about it in a New York Times interview. He didn't say yes. He didn't deny the possibility. He did not. I what do you make of it? I Dwayne Wade as a Marquette basketball player. First, <laughs> okay. I'm also from the great state of Wisconsin. All right, there you Badger go. fan watched him torch us yeah. year after year. Look, I, I think celebrities and athletes can make compelling candidates. They, uh, they come to this 
arena with a different um, uh, take than the t- typical Washington Insider vibe that can be very helpful. They've got a platform, name recognition yeah. that can raise money. But we'll see what he does. I-, I think it's an interesting proposition. Didn't go well for Mehmet Oz. Didn't go well for Herschel Walker this last uh, race, uh, this last election cycle. There are, of course, several members of Congress who had uh, fantastic you know, professional careers. Dwayne Wade is a different level, though, right? You're talking about one of the greatest ever, yeah. married to Gabrielle Union, superstar with stardom. What does it say about in the state of Florida that you've got operatives saying, this is the route we might need to go? I do think Florida is a bit of a Hail Mary position for Democrats right now. They've lost ground in several elections in a row statewide. Is Florida gone? I don't think it's gone. I think it's in a very tough spot. It's going to take a long time to dig out of it. Wade may be helpful in the short term. I think probably, though, for Democrats, I would invest in infrastructure, a strong message, uh, continue to build that party infrastructure that has sort of weakened and, and withered over time. You call it a Hail Mary. I do. <laughs> uh, why are they even going down this route then? Like, if you, were to, if you were to advise them, would you say, makes for a good headline, maybe makes for some good Monday night talking, but... Well, don't, because don't he's, com- he's compelling, and we don't know what's going to happen in this election. I think if Trump is at the top of the ticket... And, and the, the turnout that might come from that will really dramatically change what happens in, in races like Florida, for example. It could still be a, com- a competitive state. But, but really, I think they're doing it because down ballot, not just that Senate race, not just presidential race, but state Senate races, state House races, you know, local elections matter if there's some of the top that can en- engender some excitement. And a guy like Wade could do that. Rick Scott, that's the Senate seat, presuming Dwayne Wade were to run for it and move to Florida and mm-hmm. move back home. Um, former governor, two-term. Yep. One-term senator. Yep. Can he be beat? He can, and here's why. How? Uh, he, I, I spent a lot of time in Florida. I've never seen Rick Scott lose a race. That's true. But Rick Scott, since that time, has been the architect of several plans, although now he claims he didn't do this, but he did do this, wrote plans to cut dramatically entitlement programs like Social Security and Medicare. That's going to be a big problem for him in that state coming up. It's certainly a tough state for Democrats. I'm not saying it's not, but he can be beaten because his record is atrocious. Dan Cannonin, uh makes for an interesting... Talker, if nothing else, Dwayne Wade. Sure does. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Thanks, Blake. Well, fresh from his trip to Iowa, Leland Vitter is preparing to ask the 2024 presidential hopeful Vivek Ramaswamy everything you want to know about him. 37 years old, first ever federal race, and he's rising. We'll speak to Leland about his town hall later this evening. Plus, startling video of another... Startling video of another smash and grab. This one... At a Nordstrom's in L.A., just ahead, we're asking the question, does it pay to steal? What actually happens in cases like this? When On Balance returns. Welcome back. The presidential hopeful Vivek Ramaswamy used to be thought of as a long shot for 2024, but a sudden change in momentum has some thinking otherwise. Right now, the 38-year-old tech whiz is rising quite rapidly in the polls. Just take a look at some of the numbers here. According to the Real Clear Politics average, Ramaswamy is at about 6%. It might seem low, but he basically started at nothing. Uh, he, of course, is behind Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump, who's, who's pulling way ahead at 54. That's double where Ramaswamy was even a month ago. And the question now is, can he continue this momentum? And if he does, where will it take him? We'll get Ramaswamy's take on all of this in about an hour and a half uh, when anchor of On Balance, Leland Vittert, uh, sits down with him for a town hall tonight. But first, Leland is here. He joins us live from Chicago. Hey there, Leland. Uh, super excited for this tonight. Hey, Vivek Ramaswamy. For, thanks for taking the helm. Of course, of course. Yeah, I, I know you got a big night tonight. Um, 
I'm curious, uh, when this town hall starts in an hour and a half, sort of, what do you think we're going to hear from Vivek Ramaswamy? It's the first town hall that he's ever done. Yeah, first nationally televised town hall. And you've been on the trail, yeah. Blake, a lot. And you know that candidates have their strengths and they have their weaknesses. Vivek Ramaswamy's strength is with crowds and retail politics. He's very good at it. Uh, if he wants to be president of the United States, he's going to be able to have to translate that emotion and that connection that he's able to create with voters on the stump and in small, small town halls. And, and to be fair, online as well, into these kinds of television appearances. And that's what we're going to test tonight. So we've got a, a great group of voters with some really interesting questions. We have a gold star mom. We have a 17-year-old high school student. Um, we've, we've got some other folks, who, if one person from East Palestine, Ohio, hmm. who are going to be able to really test him and test his ability to connect, to empathize. And we're hoping to also get a little bit beyond uh, what are his very interesting, polished, but still talking point answers to a lot of the major questions of the day. All right, so uh, Ramaswamy, of course, 38 years old. I said 37 earlier. He had a birthday the other day. It's happy birthday to him. Uh, he's a, a yeah. tech executive. There's, there's another person in the race, uh, the mayor of Miami, Francis Suarez, uh, one of the other younger candidates compared to the others, who is known for his sort of tech rebirth in the city of Miami. I know you spoke to him recently as well. Yeah, we did. And that was at the Iowa State Fair. And it's really interesting to be able to watch these candidates up close and personal. And as you know, from being out on the trail, how different it is to one, see what candidates are talking about. Number two, see what voters are caring about um, while while they're interacting. And I think that's one of the things Francis Suarez was really good uh, about doing is figuring out what voters really really matter what we're interested in what really mattered to them as compared to what is in the echo chamber of washington take a yeah. listen you're down in the polls yeah. trying to make the debate yeah if six months from now you and i are on a bus rolling through super tuesday states because you've placed in iowa and are moving forward towards the nomination the reason will be why the reason will be because i've had an opportunity to tell the american people my story uh it's a story of being uh, my, my parents being exiled from a communist country, uh, coming here uh, with nothing, and, and, and basically experiencing the American dream, being the first Miami-born mayor of my city, creating an ecosystem where we're number one in wage growth, the lowest unemployment in America, number one in tech job growth. We've made it a safe city where we've lowered homicides to the lowest rate uh, since like the 1940s. That is not what's happening in urban America. And as a candidate for president, if we are uh, talking about Super Tuesday, it's because I've convinced the American people that I can solve America's big problems, the deficit, immigration, uh, the rising threat of China as an economic and national security threat to this country. You'll notice in that what he didn't talk about, which was Donald Trump, Joe Biden or yeah. Hunter Biden, Blake. And I think yeah. that's really one of the things we're going to get out of tonight's town hall is how much voters care about a number of issues and don't care about some of the things that dominate so much of the conversation. Economy, economy, economy. It's, it's one, two, and three, right, Leland? Uh, no matter what happens, it seems like it always you, you, comes you might down have to three. add. You might have to add one more. One Which more. Is? One more. Economy. There, you, there economy. you go. There you go. All right, bud. Looking forward to it. Uh, hour and a half from now, Leland Vitter, Vivek Ramaswamy, town hall tonight. Go get him. Uh, good luck, Leland. Thank you. Thanks, buddy.
Yep. All right. Well, some scary stuff for shoplift, uh, shoppers and staff in a California Nordstrom over the weekend. Have you seen this video yet? Dozens of masked individuals ran into the store, smashing counters, ripping clothes from the racks before fleeing in just a few short minutes. There were dozens of them. Police say the flash mob stole as much as $100,000 worth of merchandise there. Police still searching for the suspects. That flash mob comes just a week after another mob did the, the same at an Yves St. Laurent store in Glendale, California, getting away with armloads of merchandise worth an estimated $300,000. Back to Nordstrom, though, for a second. This isn't the first time the franchise in California has been targeted. We know of at least three other instances, including one in 2021 where some 80 people, 80, were involved in a similar robbery near Oakland. That resulted in just three arrests. Joining us now to discuss more is a civil rights attorney, Robert Patillo. Robert, thank you for being here uh, tonight. I wonder when you when you watch that video, what goes through your mind? What do you think? Well, well, the first thing that I think about is the fact that we have to start dealing with income inequality in this nation. Uh, at the end of the day, we've seen crimes of this nature happening in low-income communities for the last 50 years in America. Uh, but we have a national spotlight on this when it happens in wealthy neighborhoods and in wealthy stores. So we want to actually do, uh, deal with these issues. We have to deal with these uh, situations involving uh, the causeways that lead to crime and the causeways that lead to youth violence. And I think that we have uh, we have the types of programs in place that can deal with this. We have to simply implement them. We cannot only decide that there's a problem with crime when it affects rich people. We have to uh, nip it in this, in this bud. We see young people across this country being motivated by social media, being motivated by celebrity culture, seeking out these sorts of high-priced uh, uh, companies and yep. brands. But if we want to actually do something about it, we have to deal with the root causes of it, not simply try to prosecute it at the end. I, I, I hear you. Um... But there might also be another reason that drives this, and it's the individuals know in California, or at least in that part, that they might not get prosecuted. Uh, in 2021, November 20, 20th, 2021, 80 people, as I mentioned, involved in a very similar incident in Walnut Creek, California, three arrested. November 22, just a couple days later, uh, 18 to 20 people involved in Los Angeles, three Arrested, and then that doesn't even include those who end up being prosecuted. If you're gonna, if you know that in California they might not catch you and you might not get prosecuted, doesn't it? Doesn't it fuel some of this? No, just I talk to any gas station owner in Dallas, Texas, or in Morrow, Georgia, or in the uh, Deep Woods, Alabama, or Mississippi. They've been dealing with these issues for years, and America has failed to deal with this issue of youth crime and youth violence. And because of that, we uh, now is starting to matriculate this way into high-income communities. It's because uh, the only reason we're talking about this is because it's a Nordstrom store, because it's a Gucci store, or a Ye Saint Laurent store, etc., and it's starting to affect rich people. At the end of the day, we have an entire generation of disaffected youth who are motivated by, uh, by social media, who are motivated by celebrity culture, who believe that in their minds it is more important for them to hold one of these high-priced and high-brand-name uh, 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 bags in their hands, and that's more important than them going to jail. At the end of the day, if we provide these types of programs that are necessary to get these people off the street, to get them into uh, uh, into educational programs, to get them into work programs, and stop glorifying these types of things, then we will stop seeing these things happen. We cannot only just say that, well, it's affecting rich people, so it's a problem. We have to deal with it at the grassroots level. So you think lack of prosecution, lack of arrests has 
nothing to do with this. At the end of the day, I've been practicing criminal defense for the last 15 years. I've never heard a teenage offender say to me, well, I heard that the process, that, that there was a 20-year sentence on this, and that's why I did it. That's not the way that young people's minds work. They don't care about consequences. They don't care about whether this carries a 15-year sentence or a 100-year sentence. What they care about is the here and now. So as long as we continue to have a culture that glorifies these luxury brands, that puts a premium on it, where they see this as being an economic opportunity for them, and when we don't give these uh, small businesses the opportunity to protect themselves, they're not going to see a change. But at the end of the day, we cannot not just we cannot say that because this is affecting rich people, it's a problem. We have to deal with it when it's affecting affecting small businesses across the country. Also, all right, Robert Bertia, civil rights attorney. Thank you for the time, sir. Appreciate it. Have a good one. Thank you. Yep, of course. Well, he deserted his post, and soldiers were killed in search for him. So why would a judge toss Bo Bergdahl's conviction? One congressman who led the search for him wants answers, and we will talk to him next. He served the United States with honor and distinction, and we'll have the opportunity eventually to to learn what has transpired in, in the past years. Sergeant Bergdahl has missed birthdays and holidays and the simple moments with family and friends. The United States of America does not ever leave our men and women in uniform behind. That was just some of the praise the Obama administration gave Bo Bergdahl at the time. The soldier court-martialed for desertion in Afghanistan. A judge now just vacated Bergdahl's 2017 conviction. Now, veterans in Congress say Bergdahl is a traitor, in their words, who deserves punishment. They say Bergdahl left his post in the height of war that the military redirected resources to go find him, and at least eight other troops reportedly died in the search looking for him. The Taliban captured Bergdahl, as you might remember, after five years. The Obama administration set up a prisoner swap and released five members of the Taliban. Congressman Michael Waltz and other veterans in Congress want Bergdahl retried. They sent this letter to military leaders and the Attorney General Merrick Garland, in part, quote, Bergdahl's actions endangered and potentially got his comrades killed. This outcome dishonors those who served and died alongside Bergdahl and by omission condoning such behavior puts the lives of future American soldiers in peril. Leland spoke with Congressman Waltz about the ordeal. He led a task force of Green Berets that searched for Bergdahl. I guess the easiest way to say it was this, this is personal for you, right? Oh, it's incredibly personal. And uh, not only did we, uh, the, the military, lose people looking for him, although many journalists try to parse exactly where the soldiers die and where they you know, were they directly involved in the search? I can tell you for certain, everyone in eastern Afghanistan at the time was ordered to stop what they were doing and go find Bergdahl. And we headed into Taliban-infested areas that we never would have gone into uh, but for trying to find him. And then the final thing is there were all kinds of other uh, uh, soldiers that weren't getting the medevac, the air support, the intelligence that they needed. Why? Because it was all diverted to finding him. So one deserter had a huge uh, negative impact uh, on the war. Uh, and, uh, you know, he absolutely deserved justice. And frankly, as I argued at the time, he deserved jail time. The quote from the judge that threw out um, the, the conviction here. What occurred in this case illustrates why officials aspiring for public office and those achieving that objective should not express their desired verdict and punishment of individuals merely accused of committing 
criminal offenses. I guess there's two parts here. One is, should the judge have recused himself because he was applying for a job in the Trump administration and Donald Trump had been so vocal? The other issue is how to now get justice and what can be done as it relates to Bo Bergdahl. Members of Congress, myself, are pushing them uh, to retry the case. Uh, They need to appeal the case and to retry it uh, and ensure that Bergdahl seeks justice and ensure that we send a message to uh, every soldier out there that if you defect, that if you desert, there will be consequences. I think about this in relationship to the greater situation in Afghanistan. Um, And there was a hearing recently with the Gold Star families uh, who lost their their children at Abbey Gate uh, during the withdrawal. And there was that suicide uh, bomber. Take a listen. My son, these 12 others left this earth thinking that their command cared nothing for them. And for those who had power over our military, know that they made a conscious decision that led to the chaotic and frantic withdrawal from Afghanistan. I live every single day knowing that these deaths were preventable. My daughter could be with us today. My son needed a commander-in-chief who cared solely about his life. Tough. Yeah, I've dealt with Gold Star families and their grief my entire career, Leland, but never this level of anger. Uh, They are angry that they feel like they were lied to, uh, specifically by the president. Uh, Many of them still don't have all of the personal effects of their loved ones. For example, the SIM cards were taken uh, from their phones. But then the the insult to injury is to hear President Biden and his cabinet repeatedly describe this as a success, uh, rather than, as one father said, just man up, admit you made mistakes, talk about how you could do things better, and assure us that uh, this will never happen again. It's a great point. Sometimes just saying you made a mistake and being willing to try to deal with the consequences goes an awfully long way. Congressman, uh, keep at it. Uh, You're right. You did you did single-handedly change uh, the way the the world looked at Bo Bergdahl. And uh, it was pretty incredible. I remember covering it back then. Well, thanks, Leland. And I just want to let every veteran out there know that we're not going to let this go. We're never going to forget. Uh, And we will seek accountability for how this war ended. Yeah. Justice and accountability. Uh, It's only fair, I guess. American principles. Good to see you, sir. Thank you. All right. Thank you. As we continue here, the 2024 Republican presidential hopeful Vivek Ramaswamy revives his past as a rapper in Iowa over the weekend. So how'd he do? We'll talk to Cuomo about it coming up. Lose yourself in the music, the moment you want That was a song. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Run out, time's up, over, plow, snap back to reality. Oh, there goes gravity, oh, there goes gravity. Choke, he's so mad, but he won't give up that easy. Oh, he won't back, but he knows he 
He's so bad that he's broke. It don't matter, he's broke. He don't matter, but he's broke. He's so sad that he knows when he goes back to this mobile home. That's when it's back to the lab. And make it open so rapidly. Better go catch this moment and hope it don't catch you. Lose yourself. I'll tell you this much, that's better than anything I could put together. That was the Republican presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy this past weekend belting out some M&M at the Iowa State Fair. He, of course, will be joining News Nation's Leland Vitter this evening, about an hour and 10 minutes from now, for a town hall event. Chris Cuomo with us now. Not bad for Vivek there. I mean, it got a lot of headlines, and we're talking about it. Not easy to do, rapping along with M&M. Uh, he was pretty active doing this in college. I actually heard him sound even better than this when he was doing his own thing. Uh, look, yeah. you know, he's, he's showing that he's a member of a generation, that he is different uh, than what they're used yep. to. He's got a ton of confidence. And, you know, this is politics. Uh, and this is a contact sport and a charm offensive works. And he's got an interesting um, kind of combination uh, on the menu. You know, he's pushing really hard on the Trump base. Uh, really yep. warming up to them and at the same time trying to show that he is a kind of a new wave of American immigrant, you know, family here making good and obviously very successful. So he's he's an interesting, uh, interesting portrait of a politician. You know, it was interesting. Uh, I, I interviewed him on the Hill a few weeks ago and, and I said to him, you think you're the next Donald Trump? He said, I think I'm the next Ronald Reagan. That's the way he views himself. Better, better name. Uh, to go with, that, that's for sure. You know, Donald Trump uh, is really one of one, uh, wanting to be him or like him. I, I think uh, other than if people are attracted to what they perceive to be his fortune, uh, I think he's picking a better person in terms of uh, an icon when it comes to Republican politics. But, you know, again, you can't have any shame in your game. Uh, nope. He knows he's way out of his depth. I mean, he may not feel that, but as a matter of fact, he is way out of his depth. I mean, he's never held elected office. And it's nice to have an insurgent. It's nice to have a disruptor. Yeah. But it's also nice to have somebody who knows a little bit of what the heck they're going to have to do if they have the most powerful job in the world. Uh, so, you know, he's playing his game. It has worked to this point. And there are a lot of people looking to get that nomination who should be embarrassed by what Vivek Ramaswamy is making very clear about the rest of the field. Yeah, leaping, leaping many. Uh, I know you're doing the, the post-debate show. What you got coming up beforehand? Going to look at it before, get some big brains on here to talk about what he means <laughs> to the nomination. Obviously, the after show uh, will do with uh, Leland to get his take on what it was and see what the high points were, uh, what Ramaswamy really did for himself and really showed about the party. But I'm also going to do something interesting tonight. I'm going to have a couple of uh, political insiders on to talk about who's in more trouble, Trump okay. or Biden. And I will tell you now, the way I'm wording it makes it a trick question. Who's in more trouble, Biden or Trump? And they're going to debate it. And I think some interesting points are going to come out that people have to pay attention to, especially Democrats. There's a lot going on with both right now. That's for sure. Uh, Too much. We'll see see you here in five minutes. Thank you, sir. All right. All right. Well, News Nation set to host the first presidential town hall with... The Republican candidate Vivek Ramaswamy, first time he's ever done this. Leland Vitter hosts live from Chicago about an hour from now with live audiences in Chicago, Iowa, and New Hampshire. On Balance returns right after the break.
Well, thanks so much for having me in tonight. I'm Blake Berman, in for Leland Vitter. Leland not here, of course, because right now he is right there. Uh, Town Hall with Vivek Ramaswamy in one hour from now. But until then, setting the stage, Chris Cuomo. Cuomo starts right now.